millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, the tennis podcast by fans. On today's episode... Packed arenas return in Adelaide. Barty and Hallett set for tour return. And Andy Murray plots his comeback in Italy. Kim, the tennis is just around the corner. We've had this this pause. The players have gone through their quarantine mostly successfully uh, in in Melbourne, and we're really going to be you know coming into the thick of it in terms of the tennis. Six tournaments um, over the next week. It's truly going to be all the madness and mayhem all in Melbourne, and. You know, it's it's going to be absolutely fantastic. I can see you doing a little dance uh, on on the screen. This is your celebration <laughs> dance. The fact that tennis is, I think, well and well and truly arrived now, and we can now, I think, just after all of the sort of you know things that have happened over the last kind of few weeks with, as I said, the players in quarantine, um, all the kind of things kind of going on around that. Now we can firmly focus on the tennis. Yeah, I feel like we've we've all got through January just just about. Um we've survived possibly the worst month of the year and we are being rewarded by all these tennis tournaments kicking off and I think the season like properly getting underway. And I, I know we had a couple of tournaments a few weeks ago, but this is like the real the real deal now, uh, with a slam on the horizon. Um we we should note, Joel, that um like originally these tournaments were all being kind of branded like Melbourne one, Melbourne two, um, <laughs> etc. But they do have names, don't they? And they're all names that are inspired by somewhere in, well, in Australia, but in Victoria, the state uh, specifically. So we've got the Gippsland Trophy, uh, the Yarra Valley Classic and the uh, Grampians Trophy. I think they're the three WTA events, if I'm correct. And uh, for the men, we've got the Murray River Open, which sadly, you know, Andy's not there to take part in that, <laughs> that one, which great, bears his name. <laughs> um, and the Great Ocean Road Open, which I think is a really nice name for a tournament. Um, and obviously just the ATP Cup, which doesn't quite uh, go with the, the, the flow of those. But um, yeah, it's all happening and we're really going to, well, delve into the draws, aren't we, uh, this episode? Yeah, we've got a lot of we've got a lot of uh, draws to kind of assess. We've got four draws to to look at. Um, two in the the WTA, two in the ATP as well. The Grampians Trophy is that event uh, for the sort of uh, WTA players who were uh, unlucky and were in that sort of hard lockdown. That is going to be starting on Wednesday. We don't have a draw for that yet. We do have a, a playlist which we are going to talk about, but we are going to start with the. Gippsland Trophy. Um, I just want to call this. It, it's all all these names, Kim. I'm not going to lie; they're all getting a bit confusing for me. So, for me, the Gippsland Trophy is basically, aka, the one where Simona Halep is the top seed. I, I know that's not as catchy, um, but um, that's the way I'm I'm envisaging it. And um, let, let's kind of talk about 
that kind of draw because um I mean, generally speaking, with these two WTA events, um, you know, it's generally quite equally split. Um, the ATP events, I feel like it's it's not as so because obviously the ATP Cup is also going on. But um, I mean, 14 of the world's top 20 players are going to be co- kind of participating in, in Gippsland Trophy or the Yarra Valley, Valley Classic. And as I said, Gippsland Trophy, Simona Halep is the top seed. She's had a bit of a, she, you know, she had a bit of a, a return in Adelaide at the exhibition against uh, Ash Barty, which was a really fascinating and, and entertaining encounter. But um, yeah, uh, she's the top seed kind of going to, into this, her tour return. And, and lest we forget, the last time we saw her on a tennis court, bar that, um, you know, that match in, in Adelaide was, you know, really kind of one of the shocks of the season last year with uh, her loss to Iga Sviontek in the French Open. Yeah, that was what getting on for four months ago, almost, uh, which is crazy uh, how time has has just flown by. But um, yeah, it's it's her first tour match back. She's got a, a decent first few rounds, I would say, but she is actually due to face Iga Sviontek in the quarterfinals if if the seeding goes to plan. So that'll be a fascinating encounter if they do meet again, you know, so soon after that French Open match. Um, but I mean, it's it's early days, isn't it? I know, you know, she was playing Bar- Barty in that exhibition, but, you know, it seemed in decent form, but it, it's it's very difficult to know, isn't it? Like to first tournament out, um, what, what everyone's going to be you know, what form they're going to be in. For me, I, I would say Sabalenka is, is probably still the one to watch from that top half, just purely because of the the kind of sensational streak that she's been in, um, having claimed the title a couple of weeks back um, in Abu Dhabi. You know, she's on a 15-match winning streak. She's got a decent draw. I think she's going to continue uh, this week, I have to say. I think she might be my my pick for the title. Yeah, I mean, Sabalenka is definitely, I think, going to have a big say in who comes out of that top half. I still feel, feel like you can't really argue. Uh, it's hard to still argue against Simona Halep. I'd love to see that rematch. I think all fans, to be honest, would love to see that rematch with Igor Sviontek because that would be a really fascinating matchup to see, you know, how Halep, uh, you know, how Halep bounces back from that, you know, that French Open shot, you know, what what Sviontek can do. And that's, again, another question that's really kind of fascinating, I think, you know, with this draw, the fact that it's such a high quality field and Iga Sviontek will want to prove that she, you know, she belongs. And um, again, she's got, you know, I think kind of a, a decent, a decent enough route. But um, yeah, I'm looking at that sort of Simona Halep. Sviontek as one of the potential marquee matches to kind of open up this this tournament. Um, just just talking about Simona Halep actually, because um, she tweeted earlier this week to say, um, you know, it was seven years ago uh, she made her top ten debut, and three hundred and forty six weeks later she's still there. And I think we, you know, obviously we know Halep is a fantastic kind of competitor on a tennis court. And I think we, we actually forget how consistent she's been in and how much of a mainstay she's been in the top 10. Um, you know, we've obviously ha- had, uh, you know, there are players who, you know, go through ups and downs or suffer injuries that, that kind of take them out of competition, but really kind of, it's, it's amazing and a real kind of achievement, I think, for, for Simona Hallett to, you know, be able to say, you know, she's been in the top 10 for, for that long. Cause that is, I mean, that is really impressive. I mean, seven years, you know, it, there's no, you know, in my book, there's no reason why she it couldn't go to a you know a decade in the top ten, and that would be that would really be something, wouldn't it? 
Yeah, she she is a very reliable player. Like she doesn't have sort of months where she goes, you know, has a terrible run of form. She's she is very consistent, and obviously that's paid dividends with seven straight years in the top ten. And I suppose a bit like Rafa, who's had uh, what fifteen years or so uh, of being, you know, in the top ten, and it's um, mad when you think about it. And perhaps it is an as an overlooked achievement. So yeah, I mean, happy seven years to Sabona for uh, for being in the top ten and and. To Talking of, of of the top ten, you know we've we've got a whole host of um, of former top teners in this draw who perhaps could cause um, could well could raise a few eyebrows, could cause a few upsets. You know, early stage of the season, everyone's kind of coming out of quarantine, and we don't really know what to expect. So, um, if we look at the bottom half of the draw, um, obviously Asaka heads up heads up that that bottom half, um, Svitolina as well, they're the, the top two seeds in that half. But you've also got Joe Conta in there, you know, literally don't know what to expect from Joe. Uh, she could play uh, Bernarda Perra in the, well, in Joe's first match, which I know has been a bit of a troublesome opponent uh, in the past for Joe. Kim, I know it well. I, I've watched her lose. I watched her lose to her. I think at the. I'm pretty sure she lost to her at the U.S. Open. Um, I was like front row f- for that. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I hope. I mean, I hope that that's not obviously not not the case. But yeah, it really is kind of curious to see how Joe kind of gets on. Um, you know, she's got a buy, so she's got um, she's got a little bit more time, I guess. But um, it'll be fascinating to see how she does, and I'm, I'm sure she want to kind of yeah make her mark um early on and who knows who knows to kind of see where that takes her i mean looking just a bit above her in that sort of third quarter i mean you've got svitolina you've got mertens and then you've got a whole host of players who i feel like have been have been there and been up there in terms of the rankings but i kind of sort of drifted back down a little bit a little bit like yelena osipenko caroline garcia you've got petkovic as well i mean that feel that quarter for me feels kind of quite it feels quite up and yeah I feel like there yeah as you said there could be quite a few upsets potentially lurking there yeah exactly and we've also got Katie Balter as well from a British perspective um in in this sort of bottom section she opens against Anna Kalinskaya which potentially winnable match second round could be against Coco Goff though which would be really interesting so um yeah looking out for what Balter's gonna do as well as obviously Joe Conter and and all the other big names um it, it's obviously loaded with with names and, and such a high quality field so obviously very excited for it um the other WTA event the Yarra Valley Classic perhaps equally as loaded. I mean, it's really difficult, isn't it? You've got Ash Barty in this one, you know, world number one. You've got Sophia Kennan, last year's Australian Open champion. You've got Serena Williams, who doesn't need an introduction. Uh, you've got Kvitova, Muguruza, Pliskova. I mean, which one of these is <laughs> is the one to, to go for? It's really impossible to, to split. I mean, I guess for me, the main thing is is maybe how Ash Barty's going to perform because yeah she played the exhibition in Adelaide but we haven't seen her on a court since last February um you know I know Hallett was very um complimentary about how Barty played in the Adelaide event but you know in in competitive match plays it's a bit different and I think you know looking at Barty's draw she's got a very decent uh, opening few rounds so I'd expect her to to get to say the semi-finals fairly comfortably, perhaps, but um, I'm not sure she'd she'd go all the way and win it. But I'm I'm intrigued to see how she's going to get on. 
Yeah, because she, it, it felt like over, you know, the time where she, you know, she was, you know, at home, like Nick Kyrgios, it felt like she actually came in for some stick amongst some, you know, amongst some kind of members of the, you know, of the sort of tennis community for, you know, how could she be world number one when, you know, she's been off the court for, for so long. So I feel like, you know, she might, you know, be going into this, you know, wanting, uh, you know, having almost kind of a point to prove to be like, look, I am world number one for a reason. And, and this is why. And, you know, I think she'll kind of look at kind of this tournament, the Yaravari Classic as an opportunity to f- for her to kind of assert her kind of her status because she's not had a chance to, you know, she's not had a chance to do that. And the fact that she's got an opportunity to do it in front of her, her home crowd, um, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be uh, really fascinating to see how she takes that that challenge on. Uh, I think, she, I think, you know, she'll obviously be very happy that, and all, of course, we all are that there are going to be there are going to be fans at the, these tournaments, and I think that could it could help uh, Barty. Um, I mean, just kind of looking elsewhere in the draw. I mean, as you said, you've got Venus and Serena Williams there. Serena Williams, I swear, whenever I look at Serena Williams in the draw. Svetlana Peronkova is always close by and it's the same case here again because okay we could get a could get a Peronkova Serena Williams battle of the mums matchup uh earlier earlier on if if they kind of come through into kind of the, the third round so I'm kind of fascinated for that because we obviously had that we had that match at the US Open it didn't happen in the French Open when Peronkova got the walkover so I'd be kind of curious to see see that matchup happen again. Yeah, and if it's anything like the match we had between them at the US Open, then we'd be in for a treat because that was really intriguing, that that encounter. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird, isn't it, how the draws sort of keep coming up with, with players throwing them together uh, like that. And uh, there's some other interesting, uh, I guess, draws. Uh, Muguruza Kenin, they could meet in the quarterfinal, which is obviously a repeat of last year's Aussie Open final. Um, so, you know, good. I wouldn't know who to predict uh, for that one. Let's just say, let's just say that much. Um, we've also got, you know, Karolina Pliskova in, in this draw. And, you know, she had a shocker um, in Abu Dhabi, yep. losing in the yep. second round to uh, a completely unknown player, Gasanova. So whether she's going to, you know, just that's just a blip and she's going to pick up, you know, pick up where she kind of usually does um, in the kind of pre-runner events to the AO um, that'll be an interesting one to look at and then from a British perspective we've got Francesca Jones in this uh, draw um, you know she's she's qualified for the Australian Open she is in this you know level of tournament I guess for the first time and she's playing Nadia Podoroska French Open semi-finalist so I mean I'm really intrigued to see how she's going to get on with that one because you know Podoroska's Good, but I I would say Fran Jones is in with a shout for that one because, you know, I mean, Podoroska, yeah, gr- great, got to the French Open semi, obviously deserves to be up there, but um, I, I wouldn't be, maybe I'm mad for saying this, but I wouldn't be surprised if Fran Jones pulled off an upset or am I just wishful thinking? <laughs> No, I'm. I know. I'm completely with you. I think she's got. An, I think she's got a chance there. I think it's. I certainly think it's. It's winnable. Yes, I know Podoroska got to French Open semi final, and I feel. I feel like both those players will go on to that court feeling like they've got a point to prove. I feel like you know Podoroska now is in this phase of, you know, we know her as this French Open semi finalist. Um, is that all? You know, is that all we're going to know? F- 
is that all we're going to know about her basically and i feel like this is the moment where she's going to want to say no actually i'm i'm i can be more much more than just sort of a you know one moment in in time and and you know she'll kind of i think look at you know these tournaments and this year generally i think as an opportunity to kind of assert herself on the tour but you know equally from you know fran jones's perspective you know she came through she came through qualifying in the middle east for the you know the main draw of the australian open put her on the map with a lot of British fans. And again, I think she will want to kind of show, you know, what her tennis game is about. And, you know, she's a really exciting talent and she's got, you know, an absolutely kind of fantastic kind of game on the tennis court and she'll, you know, she'll want to show it. I know this is a completely new experience for her and I'm sure, you know, she's taking in absolutely kind of every moment as it comes and almost kind of savoring it. I just hope that, yeah, when she steps out on the court, she's, she's ready to kind of, you know, she's not overawed by the occasion. She's not overawed by, you know, playing someone who was in a, a friend, a, sorry, a, a semi-final of a grand slab last season and is able to kind of, you know, show, showcase her game. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for that. I mean, we've also got, you know, Zvonna Ravers in there, two-time grand slam semi-finalist. Sam Stoza as well. Yeah, you know, I always love seeing Sam Stoza in 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 the draws because you know she's always she's such a I think she's such a a fan favorite, isn't she? And kind of seeing her in front of Australian crowds, it's always kind of great. It's always kind of great to see. So yeah, I mean, just kind of looking again as well. I mean, you've got. I mean, let's just talk quickly. I think about Kenin because. Australian Open winner, Australian Open champion last season, second seed here. Again, we're not really talking much about her. Do, where do you? Where, what's your kind of view on? What's your kind of take on on Kenan? Yeah, it's tricky because I could see her winning this event, um, but I could also see her having another sort of slightly shocking result. Um, I was just thinking about when she played Sakari recently and kind of lost 10 oh, games course, on the trot. Yes, of course. So I was kind of thinking, oh, I just don't know I don't know what to expect. So I haven't I haven't gone for her. Um I think she'll do reasonably well. I'm sure she'll get to like quarters semis, but yeah, I feel like though however, I feel, you know, whatever she does in this event, you know, you absolutely couldn't write her off for the for the slam. I think, you know, you can't go too much on this, can you? Because um it's it's it can be a, a good uh, indicator of form, or it could be a, a complete red herring. I mean, I'm just looking, Joel. Danielle Collins is in the draw as well. I mean, she did quite well at the French on on her day, can pull off uh, very decent performances. So yeah, it's open really. We've also got. I mean, again, if you t- if we're talking about matchups that I'm you know potentially excited for uh, Venus Williams if she comes through her first round match against Arantxa Russ she could play Petra Kvitova uh, again that would be an absolutely I'm sure fantastic uh, encounter so yeah there's lots of there's lots of interesting matchups I think across both of the across both of the draws interestingly Kim um, there, there are a few players who because obviously there are doubles there's doubles as well going on there's a few players uh, like Kiki Mladenovic who are playing both singles and doubles across the two events just to you know if it wasn't confusing enough already um, <laughs> yeah there's there's a few there's a handful of players so who uh, are doing doubles at one event and then and singles at the other so uh, I just find that I just find that a bit odd but um, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's right I think it was in in the I think it was to, main, to maintain sort of the um, equality and, and sort of competitiveness across and the integrity across both draws, but um, just a just a funny quirk, I think that this sort of situation is kind of thrown up. 
I'm sure that will be a, a quiz question in the future. <laughs> you know, who played two tournaments in the same week? Um, and then we'll all remember that they were actually in the same place. Yeah. So it wasn't quite <laughs> as uh, extreme as it sounded. But um, let's have a, a bit of a prediction session then, Joel. Who have you got for, um, yeah, who's your money on uh, if you're a betting man on the Gippsland Trophy? aka the one that Halep's the top seed in <laughs> yeah so <laughs> who are you going for are you going who for, am I going for? <laughs> yeah um I, yes I, very plainly speaking yes going for Simona Halep um I've got a final between Halep and Svitolina um and then I've got Simona Halep coming out on top I just think kind of watching a little bit of of Halep Barty in Adelaide I think um I think you know having that break has done her a world of good she looked very good on the tennis court and it's hard to it's hard to say no. It's hard to kind of not back her, really. And and even if you know she does come up against Shvontek, I think she's got you know fantastic sort of mental um, you know mental strength. I think she'll be able to kind of overcome that. I know there's going to be sort of bigger challenges along the way, but yeah, I'm certainly backing Hallet for Gippsland Trophy. What about what about you? Yeah, I think um I think if Halep does play Shvontek, I do I do give Halep the edge. But I've actually gone for Sabalenka to win. So I think okay. Sabalenka will beat Halep in the semi. Um and I've gone for Svitolina as my finalist as well. But I think Sabalenka, I'm just gonna go with her. She's in she's in the form, she's on a, a fifteen match winning streak. I think she's gonna extend that. So you think so? You don't think the streak is going to end in? No, Sabalenka's going to be on a super okay. duper streak. Just okay. you wait. Joel. Interesting. <laughs> I, I think she's. I. I think either. I think. I think either Halep or Sviontek is going to ru- ruin the streak. I think it's going to break the streak. Even this, this, uh, this tournament. But let's let's wait and see. Um, let's let's quickly touch on the on Yarra Valley. Then who have you who have you chosen as your your finalist and champion? Right. Well, I've gone for a Czech, uh, all Czech final. I've gone for Pliskova against Kvitova and I've gone for Pliskova to win. I think that performance in Abu Dhabi was just a blip and Pliskova normally wins Brisbane before the AO. She's won that a few times. So I feel like she's going to be in her normal pre-slam victory mode. But I, I don't think that either Pliskova or Sabalenka will do very well at the Australian Open itself. That's What about you? Who have you gone for the Yarra Valley um, so I've gone completely different. I have gone for Serena Williams versus Garbina Muguruza in the final with Serena Williams coming through. I just think, um, again, I, I liked what I saw in, in Adelaide. And yeah, I, I think, you know, again, I think time off will have done Serena kind of a world of good. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm just expecting her at some point. She's going to just come back and sort of blitz blitz the competition and i feel like on a hard court that's the most likely place it, it's going to happen for for serena so um yeah i've gone for serena williams um Interesting. so yeah um but we do have we do have another uh, wta event happening and starting on wednesday the grampians trophy as i said this is the one for the players who are um who've been in hard quarantine so um again the draw is on monday but uh, and includes Heather Watson actually from from British's point of view. But I mean, just looking at the the player list, Kim, for the the this this event. Um, obviously, it's it's smaller, but it definitely feels like it's got a higher higher concentration of of quality. Um, you know, I'm just looking at the field. You've got Andrescu, 
Azarenka, Sakari, who I feel like is one of the most informed players at the moment, Jennifer Brady, Angelique Kerber. This tournament for me is going to be, I think, going to have some real sort of, you know, really sort of good, um, interesting matchups, you know, straight from the straight from the get go, given the, the strength of the, the player list. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Sakari was in really good form um, in Abu Dhabi. And obviously, I think in terms of who I'm perhaps most intrigued in seeing, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how Andrescu is going to like fare on a tennis score, seeing as she's been out for so long. And also as a Renka, Bencic, um, you know, we know on the, on their day, those players are absolutely, you know, unplayable sometimes so um yeah it's it's really full this one and we don't have a draw yet but just from the entry list we know it's going to be um almost it will just as fascinating as the other two so grampians trophy we will be covering in our next catch up um all the kind of results from that one but yeah um andrescu big um very much i think there'll be a big interest in seeing how she uh she is when she steps back onto that court. She's not played a match since I think the WTA finals in October 2019, which is pre-pandemic. Uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wow. It, that is a that is a long time to be off a you know be off a tennis yeah. court. And no matter how much you know practice sessions is done or you know fitness or, or whatever, you know that you can't replicate that sort of you know feeling as you step out onto you know into a you know WTA level tournament uh, tennis court and um yeah i think that's what's so sort of interesting because we obviously know her talent um but i you know I, if i'm being really honest i could see her winning it but i could also see her um you know retiring I, you know that's the mm. that's the yeah. sort of situation yeah. I, I feel like we're in the moment that we're with andrescu so we'll wait we'll wait and see um let's let's move on uh to the atp events um we've got the atp cup starting uh i think on on tuesday which is kind of where all the big guns are so the the two events um on the atp side are 250s their their draws are not as strong with all as i said with all the kind of top players like you know novak Djokovic and co kind of playing in the atp cup but uh let's kind of look at um both of them um Let's start with the Murray River Open. Stan Vavrinka, top seed. And then you've got Grigor Dimitrov, uh, the second seed um, in, in the bottom half. Um, just talking about Stan Vavrinka, because it came out this week, actually, that he had tested positive for coronavirus uh, over Christmas. And he effectively said that it completely, or in his own words, completely lost my off-season work. So it sounds like he potentially might be coming in a little bit undercooked um, into uh, into Melbourne, which you know it will be interesting to see you know how that sort of impacts him on a tennis court, whether that makes him more prone to um, you know an upset. But um, an interesting uh, interesting it for it to come out now and not obviously come out at the time. Um, it'll be interesting to see how we how we uh, how he fares. Yeah, I don't think we can expect too much because from what I you know from the gist of what he was saying that he did actually have like fairly like he did feel fairly unwell and was pretty tired and that's been going on for quite a few weeks and having some symptoms and um I wouldn't expect too much as a as a result which you know is a shame because we all love to see Stan uh, especially at, at the AO like you know he's obviously former champion there so um yeah I, I don't expect too much uh, but we'll see but we've also got 
you know, Nick Kyrgios in this event, you know, who also hasn't played since, I guess, this time last year. Uh, he's obviously been quite active on Twitter, but uh, he's been saying that he feels completely mentally refreshed and ready to go again. So perhaps this whole last year has, I don't know, changed his attitude in, in such a way that on court he's going to be a different beast entirely. Um, he could interestingly face Bernard Tomic in the second round. <laughs> Kim, I feel like even though he's mentally refreshed, he might he might be a changed man. If there is a moment, if there is one match, I feel that that could go all completely out the window. It is that match against Bernard Tomic. That would be, um, yeah, I think that could be an absolutely, uh, it could be a car crash. It could be entertaining. I don't really know what you could expect for it if it does happen. I'm sort of praying it does happen, to be honest, because I just think it would just be an absolute laugh. <laughs> well, well, we'll see about that. But um, interesting, we've also got Tanasi Kokonakis in a draw for the first time in, I think, forever. Mm. Yep. He's on uh, protected rankings. So it's really nice to see him back because he's had such um, terrible struggles with injury. Um, and we've got Felix Auger-Aliassime um, in there. I mean, is is he going to get to another final and not win? Um, <laughs> I mean, Casper Rude's in there. So it's a very interesting field, like despite, you know, obviously the big guns not being there. Um, British perspective, we've got Cam Norrie um, and Dan Evans in this event. Dan Evans is the eighth uh, seed. So uh, he'd be scheduled to meet Corwich, I think, in the quarters. Uh, so I think Dan, yeah, could be, you know, could be on for a good week, possibly. Norrie as well. I mean, obviously did did well in, in Delray's obviously got some, some good form at the moment. I think both of those players will be kind of looking at the shore thinking, yeah, they've got an, they've got an opportunity here. Um, as well as Ugo Umber, who really stylish player on, on the court. And I'm, I'm also kind of curious to see how he does. He's the, he's the seventh seed, but yeah, it's again, it's sort of, it's sort of a few interesting tie-ups. As I say, we've got Dimitrov as well, which we're not really kind of, not really sure about. He could easily go in, I think, win the tournament. And then also I've just finally in the sort of round one matchups, we've got Corentin Mute. Uh, against Francis Tiafo, which I think could be a really, really interesting match to watch. Um, given you know, you know, given the given the you know, given Mute's sort of um, form last season, at, you know, at the French Open, Tiafo as well, always kind of uh, entertaining to watch on a, on a tennis court. So again, lots of kind of good matchups. Um, Great Ocean Road Open. Um, again, we've got a kind of a you know a two fifty sort of esque field. David Goffan is the top seed but really i think if i'm looking at this top half kim i w- i almost think it's it's all about hubert hercage isn't it i mean he was he won delray and i just think i just think he's the man to beat in that tournament generally Uber Urkash. Yeah, I suppose in form. Um, I have to say, though, my eye was drawn to Yannick Sinner uh, in the draw. He's the fourth seed. He's been training with Rafa in Adelaide and, you know, got involved in the exhibition. So um, uh, I'd quite like to see him doing doing well in, in this event. Um, I also think Tennis Sangren might have a good week because he seems to really like playing um, at the Australian Open. So I'm just thinking... These courts suit him and uh, his game very well. Carlos Alcaraz as well is uh, potentially on for a match with David Goffin in the second round. So, you know, young up and coming Spaniard. I'm also looking to see what he's going to be doing. Um, and then one of my favourites, Joel, Salvatore Caruso. <laughs> he's due to play Andreas. 
Giuseppe. Yeah. watch on the podcast. Yeah. So uh, it's an all Italian affair. Um, also, I had my eye on Vasek Pospisil, who actually had a fairly decent um, end to last year. He did did all right at the US Open and. Oh, what event was it that uh, Sophia Open? I think he got to the final. Yes, that's it. Yeah. So I feel like he could be in with a shout. I just feel like it, it's going to be a fairly open event. I think. <laughs> I feel like yeah, this event is is very open. I also love we've got a Kevin Anderson Feliciano Lopez match in, in the first round. Which um, yeah, again, I might all, all, I'll have all eyes over that. But um, yeah, it feels a very open draw. I think Yannick Sinner is the big sort of talking point because we know, you know, he's 19 years old on the ATP tour. He's not, you're not meant to be doing these things at 19 years on 19 years old on the, on the ATP tour. So I feel like he's, he is the, you know, one to watch, but um, yeah, I don't know for me. Yeah. Hubert Hakaj is, is definitely for me the, the danger man. Um, and, and just, just quickly, actually, let's talk about Karen Kachanov because he is the number two seed, but I mean, again, I feel like he's at a point in his career where I think this year is going to be quite pivotal for him, really, because, you know, he was, you know, he was top 10. I think he reached a career high of of eight in the world. And now he's, you know, he's down at, I think, 20 in the world. And it feels like this season is going to be a big season for him in terms of, you know, are you going to be in that, you know, are you going to be in that chasing pack or are you going to be living up to the, you know, I think that, you know, the height that was kind of installed on him, you know, even a few years ago now, um, I think it'll be interesting to see how he does this season in terms of you know, whether he can get back to sort of that level he was he was at before. Yeah, I feel like I'd, I'd completely forgotten about Hatchinov, to mm. be honest. Um, and I was surprised, actually, when I saw that he was, yeah, down at 20 in the world. So, yeah, we'll see. He, he just, he sort of just faded into a bit of obscurity, I think. He, he needs to kind of get a bit of oomph back into his game I think but um yeah who are you going for then Joel uh, let's make some awful predictions <laughs> who are you going for for the Murray River Open which is the one where Sad is the top seed <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um yeah I have gone in my final I'm going to go for Nick Kyrgios versus Felix Auger Aliassime and then in classic Auger Aliassime uh, fashion, he's going to lose in the final, and I think Nick Kyrgios is going to win. I think I just think Nick Kyrgios is one of those players who, regardless of how much time he's he's taken out, his 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 talent is so great that if um, he just steps on a court um, and you know his serve is firing, he can um, he can just go through a competition you know with with relative ease. So I'm I'm kind of going for Nick Kyrgios. Um, I'm sure. I think we're going to learn. I think we're going to learn a lot about Nick Kyrgios this week because mm. you know we've not we've not seen him a lot. We've seen him a lot on on Twitter, but we've not seen him a lot on on a tennis court. And I'm I'm interested to see yeah how you know what his mindset is when he is when he is out there. Um, what about what about you? Yeah, I've gone slightly different. I have to say, I've gone for a Taylor Fritz Ugo Umber final. Um, oh, okay. Not entirely sure why with regards to Taylor Fritz, but I just felt like, you know, I just, I just thought he's one of those players that's going to do like reasonably well, get to a final. I was just going to say Fritz versus Umber, that that does feel like a 250 final. Yeah, exactly. Like, for years <laughs> to come. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> So you've gone Pospisil Sangrin. I, I've gone. Um, I've gone uh, in that tournament. I've gone Herkaj Sinner um, with Herkaj winning. Um, big fan of Herkaj. I think he 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 moves great for a big guy. Um, I think he's going to be one of the 
danger players uh, I think in the Australian Open one of those dangerous players who I think might get to kind of the, the fourth round even a quarter final I think he's very very good very very solid on a hard court and um, yeah I can can see him doing uh, making some making some waves in Melbourne so uh, we'll have to wait and see but um, we're going to take a quick break now uh, I hope you can join us in the second half where we're going to be looking and talking about the exhibition in Adelaide as well as Nadal's latest comments and Andy Murray plotting his return in Europe don't go anywhere This is the passing shot. You're joined by Joel and Kim, and we're going to be doing another passing shot quiz. I know you've been looking forward to this part of the show because earlier in the week on the quiz show Mastermind, there was a big Rafael Nadal fan who, well, he had his whole round of Rafael Nadal questions. Now we can't, we're not going to put all of them in this part of the podcast. There's quite a few of them, but we are going to be putting them at the end of the show so any any Rafa fans or any listeners who want to test their Nadal knowledge Kim is going to quiz me on all of the the questions that that came up to see to see how I do so if you listen past the the end of the episode you can hear it but uh in the meantime we do still have a a quiz question and it is actually going to involve me quizzing you Kim on Simona Halep we spoke earlier about Simona Halep being um in the top 10 consistently uh for the last seven years so my question for you is when she first entered the top 10 which was the 27th of january 2014 can you name me the other nine players who were in that top 10 oh that's that's a very good question okay um serena williams yep number one angelique kerber Yes, number nine. Um, Victoria Azarenka. Yes, number two. Um, Petra Kvitova. Yes, number six. I want to say Maria Sharapova, but was she already... Was that when she was maybe on her ban? Maria Sharapova. Correct. She oh. was ranked number five, doing quite well here. Yeah, um, not better than me at Nadal knowledge, anyway. <laughs> would Venus have been? I think Venus probably wouldn't have. Gosh, um, twenty fourteen. Oh my lord! Um, I can't think of any tennis players. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, wants- you've you have got all of the. I'd say big names the the these the other names are obviously they're they're famous players but they're 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 the harder to get ones i think there'll be some another russian or another czech player uh perhaps oh would pliskova have been in there by by this point nope no No pliskova oh radvanska yes yes number four Um, yeah agnieszka radvanska oh wozniaki no. no, incorrect. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, so there's, I think there's one, two, three, four. I think there's four, three or four left. Um, right. Is there an um, Amer- another American player, perhaps? N- no. no. So no. I was looking for Na Na Lee. Oh, Lee Na. Oh, uh, Na. <laughs> I think it's Na Lee. It's first, her first name is Na. Her surname is Lee. But you say Lee Na, don't you? 
Okay. Anyway, okay. <laughs> I know who you mean. <laughs> um, so, yeah, okay. Lena, oh, Sara yeah. Irani. Oh. Was oh, would Sibulkova be in there? Nope. Okay. Uh, Yelena Yankovic. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, did you say Petra Kvitova? I think I did, yeah. Okay. Well, that, he got everyone oh, okay. else. But, yeah. Oh, okay. So Irani. Williams, oh. Azarenka, Lena, Radvanska, Sharapova, Kvitova, Irani, Yankovic, Kerber, and Simona Hallett. Fair dues. So, yeah. Wow, that was well, a lot of quizzing. That- <laughs> I'm quizzed out. I need a cup of tea. Um, right. We've got a mailbag question though, Joel, um, which has come in. Um, so yeah, this is a really cool question, actually. Uh, this is from um, Jonathan, who sent it in. Uh, following Naomi Osaka investing in a women's football team, North Carolina Courage, if you were rich and had a big pot of money, what professional sports team outside of tennis would you invest in and why? Ooh. That's a really good question. <laughs> I don't. Oh, that's quite yeah. tricky. Did you did you see this news story? Yeah, because because Osaka, yeah, has invested in um, I think like a, a top flight sort of women's uh, professional team in America. Um, so um, you know, obviously she's she's like the highest paid sports woman I think in in the world at the moment. So she's obviously got you know money to kind of um, you know, to spend. Um, but uh, yeah, if 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 I was in the sort of similar situation, uh, the team I would invest in, uh, I have to go local, Kim. I've got to invest locally in my local football team, Wickham Wanderers. Um. And the reason for that is we're not we're not doing great at the moment. We're in the we're in the championship. We're in the the league below the Premiership in in England, and we're we're last. Um, and we're last by a, a good distance. We lost actually today to Brentford seven two. So <laughs> I know really really bad results. So I feel like we need the money to buy some like really good players um i don't know if this is a consolation joel but i didn't actually realize wickham were in the championship (laughs) i thought you were in like the conference or uh how dare you how how dare you (laughs) maybe you will be soon Um, yeah probably to be mm, fair yeah (laughs) blimey oh gosh well no that's that's admirable you're helping support your local uh entity i i don't really we uh my, my local football teams aren't really anything to uh for me to write home about perhaps, but I couldn't really think for this one. I, I just was thinking, who do I support or who do I like? Uh, and I was like, oh, I like the Spanish football team, but I don't think they need my money. Uh, not that I have any, but um, Real Mallorca perhaps uh, used to work right next to the stadium. Uh, AFC Wimbledon, I don't know. Uh, or, or I was thinking other sports, like let's get away from football, maybe like British swimming. Like I'm a big swimming fan when it comes to the Olympics. So I'd maybe support our guys in that and girls i don't know it's a really tricky one i um hadn't yeah never never had to think about that before so (laughs) good question Uh, let's get back to the tennis um let's talk adelaide you know we've mentioned it a bit earlier uh the exhibition a day at the drive um i have to say joel when i you know kind of woke up and and saw kind of all the stuff on twitter that was going on from from adelaide all the kind of results I, you know, saw that photo um, of all the crowd in, in the stadium and I was actually quite sort of, I don't know, I, I sort of felt like I had quite an emotional reaction to it because it was just so sort of surreal to see like people and fans and and not needing to distance and all sort of crammed in and like, like the old days. And it just, I don't know, it just kind of 
almost sent shivers down my spine a bit because it's just it felt so wrong but I know it's it's right you know they're they're able to do that it's it's fantastic for them (laughs) um for anyone out in Australia you know they've done you know so such a tough um you know such tough restrictions to achieve um like zero local transmission of the virus and they deserve to be able to do this but I just (laughs) it's just um I don't know I had quite a weird reaction to it I think I don't know if that if you had that as well yeah, I know. I know. I kind of know what you mean because I think it's like you could look at that photo and think, like, oh, haven't we learned anything from this whole pandemic? Uh, you know, when you know we've got everyone next to each other. Yeah, I don't think there were like many people wearing masks in the audience, but I think you know, I think my ov- my overriding sort of sense was kind of excitement. I think, and the fact that you know, I, just I think you know, with with this event, I think it showed how much I think that you know, a packed arena can, can bring to a, a tennis match and bring to the, bring to the players um, who, you know, I think, you know, some definitely, I think most, to be honest, thrive off, you know, playing in these sorts of, you know, capacity crowds, whether that's an, an exhibition, whether that's a tour, a level tournament, whether that's a grand slam, wherever it is, I think, you know, they feed off that, that energy and, and to be robbed of that energy over the last, you know, eight months or, or however long it's been, um, you know, to have it back, I think has been, it's probably quite rejuvenating for, for some of them. Um, because, you know, let's kind of talk about some of the, you know, the matches that went on because it kind of got off to a, a bit of a funny start because Novak Djokovic, um, who, um, you know, I think a lot of the crowd were, you know, obviously expecting to see on the tennis court, um, was announced to have pulled out of, uh, a day at the drive because of um i think what was described as excessive blisters uh, on his hand which was the first i to be honest, was the first i did have heard of it um i think it sent um you know some sort of uh you know some fans into you know does this make djokovic a doubt for the australian open you know what does that mean but i don't i don't think it's it's not that level because he then decided to kind of come out for his his the second set um against yannick sinner swapping back in for for Philip Kranjevic and he you know he said that the reason he did it was you know he saw a capacity crowd and he, he felt he just had to be out there and for me it just shows I think the you know the energy that you know having a, a crowd brings uh you know to the point that you know Djokovic wasn't going to play it and then he was like I saw that crowd I saw how involved they were and he was like I'm just gonna have to I've, I've got to get out there yeah it's interesting I just like the fact that he came on like halfway through the match uh essentially and <laughs> as you do but um yeah I mean fair enough I'm sure I'm sure those blisters are probably uh if they'd been really really you know worrisome for the AI he probably wouldn't have, have come on um but yeah I mean I don't think I, I wouldn't worry too much perhaps for Novak fans um so yeah, we had uh, that going on. We had Rafa playing Dominic Team. Uh, Rafa won that one, seven five six four. I mean, can't read too much into score lines, but um, we also had Serena playing Osaka. Um, Serena won that on the uh, third set, like match tiebreak, and Barty playing Halep, which Halep won on the um, match tiebreak. So yeah, I think the overriding kind of theme was that everyone was very much. Um, happy that there was a big crowd and it was sort of a nice atmosphere and you know um I, I it went down fairly successfully which i'm sure the organizers were very pleased about as well um and interestingly uh rafa was uh doing an interview with espn actually about uh kind of the quarantine conditions and um you know 
Novak as well and uh, <laughs> everything that's been going on, all the controversies with the different types of quarantine, you know, the, the Adelaide conditions versus the Melbourne conditions and the, the hard quarantine in Melbourne conditions. Um, and I think, you know, it's quite, he made some interesting points, I suppose, because, um, you know, they were sort of asking him his perspective on, you know, a lot of perhaps the players uh, moaning about the Adelaide conditions being you know, better, better than their conditions. And, you know, he was kind of making the point that, yes, you know, we do have better conditions than like everyone in Melbourne, but in Melbourne, there's also differences between people in Melbourne. Like some players have better rooms than others. Um, So it's kind of like, there's almost like a scale of, of privilege and perhaps those players that are complaining about the guys in Adelaide, they maybe need to check their own privilege and think about actually there are some who are even worse off than them. Um, are they complaining about the ones who are doing, you know, worse or having worse conditions than they're in? They're just thinking about who's better off than them, but also think about those that are, are worse off than you to so kind of put it into a wider perspective, which I thought was quite interesting because it, even like for us, you know, we're going through lockdown at the moment. We might look at people in Australia being like, oh, they're so lucky, able to go out about their business. But it's like, you know, there's people worse off than what we're going through in London. So you can always, I guess, compare both above and below you but without negating anyone's, you know, he's not trying to, I don't think he was trying to negate the fact that people were complaining. I think people still have a valid reason to complain about the Adelaide quarantine conditions being better. But I guess um, it's just, there's always going to be people who are better and worse off. I don't know, it doesn't make it right, but yeah it's tricky it's just a fact of it just feels like it's a fact of the you know the the situation yeah. we're in and you know what one you know it's quite an interesting um you know insight because he also kind of addressed the sort of you know Djokovic sort of um suggestions to, to tennis australia um with a kind of you know not head-on but he kind of said you know along the lines of some need to make public all these things they do for others some of us do it in a more private way without having to to publicize any everything um so you, you know of course that you know the media were kind of talking about this is a criticism uh of of novak Djokovic. um but to be honest i think for me it just kind of shows that you know you know players out there just like to go they just very plainly speaking they just like to go about you know doing the same thing in in different ways and you know i think you know when we kind of look back on the I think the kind of the legacies, I think, of, of Nadal and, and Djokovic, I think, you know, Djokovic, I feel is definitely a more sort of outward and expressive person in terms of his actions. Whereas Nadal is, I think, a little bit more discreet. They might be, you know, helping the same cause, but they're just kind of going about it in a different way. So I think it was kind of interesting also to, to kind of, to hear that you know, come from Nadal because he doesn't normally kind of get, I think, embroiled in these sorts of issues. So it was kind of interesting to see him kind of talk about that um, in the interview. Yeah, I mean, some people always shout louder than others. Um, you know, their objectives might be the same, but they'll just go about it in different ways. You know, we all have our own way of of working and and communicating. So I think Rafa's never been the sort of person to kind of like publicly try and like stir anything or, or you know, I, so I like that's where he's coming from. Um, but yeah, it's quite an interesting, interesting interview. Um, and we were just saying, weren't we like, I think last week or two weeks before that, you know, we hadn't really heard from Rafa on, on this whole issue. So um, 
you know, we've kind of got his two pence worth. Um, but yeah, just before we finish up, Joel, um, we've had an announcement, I think, today um, about the Australian Open and how many fans are going to be allowed in uh, to the tournament. Um, I think it's going to be about 30,000 people per day. Uh, and then for the last five days, it'll be 25,000 people per day. That's about 50% of the usual amount. Um, so there is, you know, quite a drastic reduction from normal. Um, however, Rod Laver Arena from the quarterfinals onwards will have 12,500 people, um, which is around 80% of the norm. So they're kind of focusing it, I guess, on, on the big arena for the latter stages to make sure it's as, as normal as, um, as possible. I mean, I feel like if they're going for 80%, they might as well go for 100%. But, um, it's just going to be, yeah, it'll be interesting just seeing people at tennis compared to the zero crowds that we had at the US Open. Mm. Yeah, so. and it'll be, it'll be interesting, I think, to hear, I think, from the players, you know, whether this changes the atmosphere. Um, I know because I feel like the atmosphere will be different. Um, I don't think it's going to be the same. It still could be a special atmosphere, but it might be special in a, in a different way. And I'll be interested to kind of hear how the, I think the players sort of dis- describe that feeling on court when, you know, they know they're not, you know, there are fans there, but it's not a, you know, it's not going to be a completely packed crowd. Um, but I do hope we, as I said, we still kind of have that special, um, you know, that special, that special feeling that we kind of associate with, you know, going on to, Rod Laver, you know, arena with those like late matches, for example. But um, yeah, it's, I, I think, you know, it is, pos- I think it's obviously very positive. You know, if you think back, we've how had, we're going to have three Grand Slams, you know, since, you know, this pandemic hit the French Open, US Open, Australian Open. Capacity has obviously increased each time, you know, um, we've got to go back to you know US Open. There was absolutely you know no 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 public um, you know in attendance there. Um, it will be interested to see how you know whether we can kind of maintain this. I think this upward curve as we go from Grand Slam to Grand Slam because you know if it still feels like with. Uh, you know, I know obviously the French Open is next, but for example with Wimbledon, it still feels like we're not going to you know recording this from London. It's it doesn't. For me, it still doesn't feel like we're going to be at 100% by the, the summer. And I think we have to, you know, look at these situations, I think, in isolation of the, you know, the country and the, the surroundings that they're in and, you know, still take it, I think, by slam by slam. Although it's a positive sign, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily think, you know, this is always going to end up at the, you know, on a straight curve, straight up. I think it could be up and down, I think, over the, you know, over this season. Well, at the moment, Australia would be like the only place and, and New Zealand that could host fans, I would imagine. I mean, there might be like minimal people at Wimbledon, but I really don't expect there to be many, um, which is very sad to say. Um, but, you know, my motto is uh, expect little and be, I don't know, over over pleased when things actually go right for once, maybe. That's very pessimistic, isn't it? But hey, um, but a couple of actually talking about optimism and pessimism, or whatever, a couple of nice stories to end on. Um, we had Carla Suarez Navarro um, kind of coming out into the media to say that she's doing really well with her cancer treatment. Um, she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma last year. And well, she was due to retire, but um, she's sort of since since I guess undergoing you know her illness and, and the treatment she's kind of been thinking about coming back um for the I think the Olympics um perhaps playing the doubles um with with Muguruza 
um, or, you know, whoever. But um, she's been doing a bit of training, I think, over Christmas, I think, with Sarah Irani um, and obviously, you know, trying to get out on the court and stay fit and active you know while she's having her treatment so that was you know really nice to see that she's doing well uh, well as well as can be expected and that she's perhaps thinking about you know having one last hurrah which would be a really nice you know send-off for her I think so yeah I just hope you know for her well for, for all of us I think is it's um I hope the Olympics happens because yeah I think she deserves uh you know having a proper send-off um and you know what better you know what what better place than than the Olympics um you know representing your country so um you know it's great to hear that she's doing you know she's doing well she's on the road to recovery it sounds like and um yeah it'd be great to see her teaming up with Muguruza um you know for one one last hurrah in uh in Japan um the other story we've kind of got to touch on very quickly before we finish is Andy Murray, because, you know, it was all a bit doom and gloom last time we spoke on our catch up about Andy Murray because, um, you know, he, he tested positive for coronavirus, wasn't able to go out to, you know, Australia on a chartered flight. Then it kind of evolved into he's going to have to miss the miss the Australian Open. And we were, always, we were kind of thinking, OK, what is he going to be doing next? Well, we do now know and he's entered into a challenger tournament in Italy in Biella, um, which is a, um, yeah, as I said, is in Italy. I think it's a, it's a hardcore indoor hardcore tournament starts mid February, Feb 15th Feb. And um, yeah, he's, he's obviously raring to get back out on a tennis court, regardless of, of where that is. So he's going to have a sort of, I think low key introduction back onto the tour, but even though it's a small, you know, obviously, a, you know, a tier lower than the ATP tour. It's still quite a competitive field. So I don't think this is, it's not, I don't think we should read this as a walk in the park for, you know, for Andy Murray, because, you know, he's going to have to play some, you know, some quite, I think, tricky names on, on their day. Um, Seb Corda, I think is, is definitely up there. You've got Lorenzo Musetti, who's, you know, last Stanford Vavrinka last season. Um, you've got Andres Seppi. Lucas Puy is also on the on the player entry list. So I think that could be quite a it could be quite tricky, but it'll be quite interesting to see where Murray's level is at um, when he does come back. Yeah, I've just been googling Biella. I was like, where in Italy is this? Uh, it's sort of very close to the Swiss border, right up in the north, kind of between Turin and, and Milan. So yeah, there we go. Um, apparently a very important wall processing and textile center. <laughs> I, I saw that. <laughs> I'm sure Andy like... will be partaking in some of the local uh, industry <laughs> when he goes there to play. Um, yeah, it's his first appearance at Challenger since the Rafa Nadal Open in 2019. Well, hey. Um, but yeah, Seb Corder's there. So yeah, quite exciting. Um, we'll see how he gets on. But yeah, it's good that you know, he's, he's due to play something soon, uh, for British fans to kind of get into. Um, yeah, I think that brings us to a close, Joel, today. Um, just one thing, passing shot brew board is happening. So any suggestions for your favorite tea, coffee or other hot beverage, keep them coming. We had some excellent suggestions in the week on Twitter. So thank you very much for those. Um, we will be compiling them all and, um, adding them to our brew board. Um, but I think that brings us, yeah, to a close for, for another week, Joel. 
I know. And breathe. We've, we've, I feel like we've talked about so much tennis in, in an hour or so. Um, yeah, I think that's, you know, that's the situation we're in. It's going to be absolute, I think it's absolutely, absolute bedlam over in Melbourne. Um, hopefully of the positive kind on, on the tennis court, um, with six tournaments, uh, coming up, um, over the next week or so. So I hope you really enjoy it. Of course, uh, remember to subscribe to the passing shot to stay up to date on all of the latest goings on in Australia and the tennis. And if you enjoy listening to us on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a rating and comment. And you can follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. So do drop us a message. Let us know your thoughts. We always love to hear from you. And if you'd like to email the show, you can do so PassingShotPod at gmail.com. And we will be back next week with another catch up looking back on all of the events in Melbourne and all of the the tournaments and all the fun of the fair I think it's safe to say so uh, I hope you can join us for that in the meantime if you want to get your passing shot fix elsewhere we uploaded a midweek passing shot meets episode with us in conversation with Stephen Blush talking about all things world team tennis as part of his new book Bustin Balls World Team Tennis Pro Sports Pop Culture and Progressive Politics it was really 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 interesting conversation i thoroughly recommend um if you've got an hour to spare um to have a listen to it because it was really interesting to hear about the sort of formative years of, of world team tennis we we definitely learned something new so um yeah if you've got uh, some spare time and you want to listen to a bit more of us um yeah look out for that episode um just kind of scroll back on your uh, podcasting platform of choice and you'll be able to find it but um in the meantime i hope you have enjoyed listening to this catch-up and we will see you again soon. excited about this because there's a there's a t- there's a quiz show on television in the uk called mastermind where you have a sp- specialist subject and and one of the contestants this week chose rafael nadal yes um i was very excited big thanks to tennis on telly for giving me a heads up <laughs> <laughs> that it was going to be on because i suddenly got very excited um and yeah i'm gonna give you the questions because i already played along uh i was shouting out at the telly uh, when the gentleman in question was answering his question. So I'm going to give you a Rafa quiz. So any Rafa fans listening, um, get ready because if you didn't watch it, then um, here are the questions. So Joel, um, they're quite long questions. Um, I'm conscious of time. So I'm going to say them as like fairly quickly. So if you want to sort of give a, a, a quick answer. I'm, g- I'm going to pretend to be John Humphreys, who is the host of Mastermind, <laughs> and he doesn't allow people to sort of faff for too yeah. long. So if okay. you don't know okay. the answer, just, you know, I'll say make pass. something okay. up. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. But in Mastermind, okay. it's actually bad to pass. But anyway, um, <laughs> we won't go down that route. Okay. Are you ready? <laughs> okay. I'm ready. Okay. Right. Number one. When Nadal started playing tennis at the age of four, he was coached by a family member whom he describes as the toughest of tennis coaches and usually the last person in the world to offer me consolation. What was his name? Uncle Tony. 
Well, yes, uh, Tony Nadal, but okay, Tony yeah, Nadal. I, yeah. Uncle Tony, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, at the age of 18, Nadal helped Spain defeat the USA in the 2004 Davis Cup final by winning his singles match against an American player who was ranked second in the world at the time and, and had beaten him at that year's US Open. Which player was it? I think it's Andy Roddick. Correct. Number three, Nadal's first ATP tour match against his great rival, Roger Federer, was in 2004 and he won it in straight sets. At which tournament? Oh, that's a good question. I want to say Rome? No, it was Miami. Oh, Uh, yeah. That is a good question. (laughs) Number four, in his autobiography, Rafa, My Story... Uh, Nadal names a golfer as the closest I've come to an idol and says it's because of his clear headedness, his determination and his attitude. Which golfer? Oh, my God. Um, Jose Maria Olafarbal. That's the only Spanish golfer I know. (laughs) Okay, I don't know who that person is, but um, no, it was was Tiger Woods. Uh, Oh, oh God. Not not a Spanish golfer, unfortunately. Um, What what is the name of Nadal's hometown on the island of Mallorca, where he opened a tennis academy in 2016? Pass. Oh, that's Manacor. You should know that one. Every time it comes up when Rafa's like warming up, it says Manacor, Mallorca, Spain for his, uh, you know, origin. Uh, But anyway, uh, next one, I've lost count of what number this is, but here we go. The phrase Nadal uses for his feeling on winning his first Wimbledon title in 2008 is also the title of the chapter in his autobiography, which describes the decisive fifth set of the final. He called the feeling... An invasion of the what? Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) Don't worry, I didn't get this one either. (laughs) uh, An invasion of the senses? No, it's the purest joy. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a bit of a rogue one, that one. Um, Right, next question. In 2010, Nadal appeared as Shakira's love interest in the music video for one of her songs. What's the title of the song? Oh, yes. Um... Hips don't lie. Oh, uh, that could have worked, but no, it was Gypsy. Do you remember that one? No, to be Um, honest, no. (laughs) Uh, Next question. Which ATP Masters tournament did Nadal win for the first time in 2005? He then successfully defended the title each year until 2013 when he lost to Novak Djokovic in the final. I think that is Rome. No, it's Monte Carlo. Monte Carlo. Mm. Yeah. Oh. This is not going well. Right. Next one. Nadal has a medical condition that affects one of the tarsal bones in his left foot, which makes it prone to injury. He refers to it as my own unique version of the Achilles heel, the most vulnerable part of my body. What is the name of the bone? Oh my god! This is um, very anatomical. I yeah, pass. No idea. It's the tarsal scaphoid bone. I also did not know that one. Um, Right. Rafael Maimo became Nadal's physical therapist early in his career. What is Nadal's nickname for him? This is very niche to Rafa fans. Whoa, whoa. Um, Yeah, again. um, You're not going to get that, are you? The miracle worker. 
No, but oh, that would be a good one. But no, it's it's Titin, like like Tintin, but oh, without okay. the first yeah. N, Titin. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, last question. Nadal lost at the French Open for the first time in 2009 when he was knocked out in the fourth round by a player who went on to reach the final. Which player? Robin Soderling. Correct. So I think you got mm. one. I'm annoyed about that Monte Carlo one. I think one. you got three right. Oh, yeah, you got three, um, three out of eleven right. So, listeners, how did you do? I think, I think a lot of those, well, quite a few of those are quite niche to Rafa fans. But um, I think the guy who went on Master Runner, obviously for his source material, given Rafa's autobiography, hence, hence that slightly rogue question about the book chapter. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.